0: This morning, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter nine. We're gonna be in Proverbs chapter nine. What, what a great way to begin our time this morning with the reflection on Jesus's command. His command to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. A command. But it's a command that for the church is to be received not begrudgingly, but rather is to be received as an instruction toward joy, that as we pursue the command of Jesus to love our God, what we are receiving is a command to take a desire, a pleasure, and a pursuit in the only satisfaction that we have for our souls. So the command is not something that we enter into begrudgingly in a pursuit of self-righteousness but something that we receive with joy as the wisdom of God's command counsels us into joy. So the fight to obey the command isn't a fight for self-righteousness. It's a fight for joy in Christ. That is what we are spending our summer reflecting on as we're taking a pause in our slow movement through the Gospel of Mark. We wrapped up Mark chapter four last week. We now begin a series entitled Fight for Joy, walking in victory over the patterns of sin. This is a series that we've worked on together with the other Crosspoint churches in Orlando and Jupiter and Peachtree City, Georgia. Uh, a, A series in which we began reflecting on putting together this series by looking at the seven deadly follies, otherwise known as the seven deadly sins. These follies that work their way through the whole of Scripture, but particularly through the book of Proverbs. Follies such as gluttony, lust, envy, Pride, greed, laziness, wrath. We recognize that there are are patterns of sin that even the believer in Jesus may find in ourselves during the course of our life. Patterns of sin that, not just instances of sin, but patterns of desires that lead to particular behaviors that hold us back from the joy that would be found in a pursuit of a love of Christ. These are patterns and sinful desires that are confronted by warnings and by wisdom throughout the whole of the Scriptures. In Mark, we'll look at this chapter in a few months from now. In Mark chapter 7, verses 20 through 23, it says this. Jesus says, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within... Out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. As I considered that list of sins right there in Mark chapter 7, I recognized that All that is listed there can be directly connected to the foolish thoughts and desires that are listed in our upcoming study of the seven deadly follies. All of this list of behaviors are birthed in an inward desire that Jesus is speaking of there that can be directly tied to the seven deadly follies that we find ourselves warned against and given counsel regarding in the Scriptures. Jesus is clearly concerned not only to change our behavior but to root out the evil thoughts that served to defile a person. This summer, I'm truly excited uh, that all of us will have the privilege and opportunity to uh, be ministered to by a number of preachers. One of the reasons why we put together this series as Crosspoint is so we could share pulpits with one another and so that we can meet one another's congregations and grow in a family relationship together. So you'll be hearing from Miguel Medina at Crosspoint Español, Ryan Walker at Crosspoint Downtown, James Rep, an elder candidate right here, as well as Joel Fair at the Cape and Justin Sarah down at Palm Bay all this summer. And I hope that you're ready for that. I also hope that you will join, even as, make no mistake, these are pastors who pray for you. That's not new this summer. These are pastors who pray for you. These are congregations that pray for you. I hope that you will spend the prayer the, the summer in prayer for them and their congregations as we walk through this series together. And our prayer is, is that as pastors and as congregations from the Crosspoint family of churches, that we will bring the wisdom of Christ and his gospel to bear upon these patterns of sin that so often show up during the course of our lives. Can we join together in that prayer? That the Lord would confront our patterns of sin this summer as we fight for joy together. Now, the book of Proverbs is going to help us. It's going to help a lot. It's an incredible book. One of my favorite Proverbs, and you can probably find one, something like this. Go find a favorite Proverb. Here's Proverbs 27, verse 14. Whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice. I love this. Whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice, rising early in the morning, will be counted as cursing. I saw some of you look at each other and spouses and so on. You know how this works. It doesn't matter if you're doing your morning devotions. It doesn't matter if you're singing one of the great hymns of the faith or jamming to one of the new albums from Humble Beast. If you're being loud and banging around in the morning, your neighbors are not going to be impressed especially we late risers, right? Six o'clock is just not natural to me. I don't care if you're singing in the other room or not. It's a good proverb. We should live by that one. How about the other proverbs that counsel us regarding laziness and we'll be confronted by that, those proverbs as well. None of the proverbs leave us nice and safe and secure in our own way of being. They confront us no matter what, right? Ray Ortland says of the proverbs, Proverbs, The book of Proverbs is Wisdom for Idiots. Check. Uh, This is the book for me. Uh, It's literally Wisdom for Simple People. Proverbs 1, verse 22 says, How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? What a challenge. If we aren't willing to be challenged by the words of Scripture, we're saying, I'm kind of satisfied with my immaturity. Kind of like it here. I have nothing left to learn, and that is really in many ways the definition of a foolish person, to remain simple. These proverbs are written for simple people, the young or no matter what age, the not yet mature. It's written for us, church. Written as a compilation of wisdom from kings and other wise advisors to the king, from King Solomon to many others. They're written to princes, to prepare them for the throne. Listen, there's nobody that's born to be a prince. There's nobody that's born to be royalty. Everybody's born crying and foolish, right? In great need and immaturity. We have to be raised up in wisdom. And the book of Proverbs does that for princes, all right? Simple children, we can listen in. And we can grow ourselves. In fact, Ray Ortland suggests wisdom is the gospel of Christ reshaping us for royalty. Christ's church being reshaped by the wisdom of God for the royal position into which he has placed us. The Lord, by these proverbs, is bringing us along in the faith to fit us a kingdom, just as he's been doing in these parables that we've been studying in the gospel of Mark. He's fitting us. He's changing the people, not leaving them where they were, but confronting them with his word. And as we give attention to the Lord, what he's doing is he's planting his word in us so that he may grow up a great harvest of righteousness according to our ability to listen and do it right. No, no according to his wisdom and his grace. We sang about it, right? According to his great faithfulness. So what is Jesus doing in Proverbs? What will we give attention to in Jesus' work this summer? It's that Jesus is making wise the simple through faith in his word. Let's pay attention to Jesus, just as he's been calling us to all through the Gospel of Mark chapter 4. This morning, I said that we are in Proverbs chapter nine, and that is where we are. We're gonna read the whole of the chapter. It's a great story, all right? It's truly compelling. Look at some of the imagery. It's vibrant. I know a lot of you like to draw during the course of the service, and I don't mean doodle. I've seen your drawings. It's some real stuff. This is vibrant stuff. It should capture your imagination. Proverbs chapter nine. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in town. What do they say? Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come, eat of my bread, drink, "'of the wine I have mixed. "'Leave your simple ways "'and live and walk in the way of insight. "'Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abused, "'and whoever reproves a wicked man incurs injury. "'Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. "'Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. "'Give instruction to a wise man, "'and he will be still wiser. "'Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning.' The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me your days will be multiplied and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. The woman folly is loud. She's seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat in the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way, whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet, and bread is eaten, eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there and that her guests are the depths of Sheol. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the the beauty of your word, the poetry, the imagery, the wisdom that you have given to those to record it, your spirit to inspire it, that it would be of eternal value to we who hear it as your word. We pray that you would work in us, in all of our hearts, in all of our minds, and all of who we are today to impress upon us wisdom and folly, that we would confess our foolishness and turn to the Lord in the fear of the Lord that we might be made wise by your wisdom and grace. Thank you, Lord. We trust you for this. We know this is what you do. This is what you do. And so we pray that you would do it again this morning. Thank you, Lord. We pray this in your name, in the name of Jesus. Amen. This morning's chapter, Proverbs chapter 9, is a story of two houses. You caught it, right? It's a story of two women, two nearly identical invitations, worded the same, probably on the same sort of parchment. And the question for us today is, or the instruction for us, is choose wisely which invitation you accept, which house you enter, which counsel you would receive. The house of Lady Wisdom versus the house of Lady Folly. Look at verses 1 and 2 with me as you continue to follow along. Wisdom has built her house. That's important already right there. Wisdom actually built something. Her house is something that that is is hers to stand in. She has hewn her seven pillars. We'll see that both of these houses are prepared for guests. Both have been prepared. And there are people who are called to enter in. But only the house of wisdom is prepared for life. Look at the contrast. We see it right away in verse 2. She has slaughtered her beasts and she's mixed her wine. There's a preparation of a meal there. Preparation for people to enter. There's hospitality. Do you see it? There's genuine hospitality in the house of wisdom. She has set her table in the seven pillars. And in that beautiful image of the seven pillars is this image of, of the building of a house. And those seven pillars are majestic and they're complete in the number seven. Her house is finished. This isn't wisdom that's still maturing. This is the very definition of what wisdom is in all of its maturity. The house of wisdom. And in that house there's abundant feasting, a house that's prepared for guests. And what has been prepared for the guests is abundant life for them. Here we see the maturity of wisdom. And so... The call for us today in in this description of Lady Wisdom's house is is to let Lady Wisdom's call be a, a preparation for ourselves in our immaturity. We have somewhere to go. We are not already building our own house of mature wisdom, but we have another house to enter. The wisdom of God is prepared to teach us if we'll hear the call to enter. And the call, if you continue with me in verses 3 and 4, is an open invitation. Look at it with me. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. And the message is, whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come and eat my bread and drink my wine that I have mixed. She sends out her servants into the streets to find those who are simple let them turn in here. We would think that such a majestic house would have a more discerning guest list, right? Kind of walk through the who's who of the town and send out particular, yes, still send out the servants, but they are given addresses to go to, right? And they're the best last names in the town. And that the people who have established houses for themselves, so that their houses might be joined as Lady Wisdom increases her status in the town by joining with other status houses. You would think that Lady Wisdom would have a more discerning guest list, but Wisdom has discerned that her glory is increased as her glory is made known among all the people, all the families of the earth. Do you not see we're talking about the Lord here? The Lord is imaged forth for us in this beautiful image of Lady Wisdom's house. The joy of wisdom's fellowship is in its increase. Wisdom loves to see the immature grow to maturity and to do so within the grace and provision of her own house. Wisdom loves to see folly stopped in its way and brought into the house of the Lord. This is the wisdom of the household of God. Friends, that's good news for you, right? That's good because you know what it looks like to live in your own head. You know what it looks like to follow after your own way. You've lived long enough to see the patterns of life and thinking and behavior that your own wisdom and immaturity produces. You know what that looks like. The wisdom of the household of God is to increase by bringing you into another place. Our joy is made complete as our fellowship increases as others who, like ourselves, once walked in darkness but have come to revel not in our marvelous maturity but in his marvelous light for the glory of God that's found in the face of Jesus Christ. What's being upheld is not some great people but one great house and the light that emanates from wisdom's house as a call to all of the people to come. Don't you see, the master of this house is Jesus himself. He, as we've read, just, just recently, just in the Gospel of Mark, he called fishermen. He ate with tax collectors and sinners. Do you see wisdom going out into the streets as Jesus himself sent out disciples into the highways, yes, and into the side streets to prepare and spread news of the coming of the king and the coming of the kingdom of God into which they were to enter. Friends, there is an error in the church that we think that our business is to build the kingdom of God to be ready for God to return. Is the message that Lady Wisdom sends out? Send out a message. I'm coming to town. Be ready for me. And the message is I have a kingdom. I have a house. It's complete. It's got seven pillars. And there's wisdom. Enter into it. We don't build the kingdom of God. We are called to enter into it. And we go with news, not that we are great. Not even that we've built some great church or congregation or movement or any mission about us. We go with news of a beautiful house that has taken us in. Will you join us? Jesus is the king who by his word makes wisdom to take root in his people. He's raising up a kingdom people who have been tutored in the king's own wisdom and grace. Tutored along, brought in to his way, and what do we find when we're brought into his way? But in verses five and six, we find a banquet, and it's not just any banquet; it's a banquet of grace. Look at it: Come, eat of my bread, drink of the wine I have mixed. Lady Wisdom says, "Leave your simple ways and live, walk in the way of." insight, evidently, listen, listen, evidently, the way of insight is not to get your act together and provide for yourselves. The Lord helps those who help themselves, right? Evidently, the way of wisdom, the way of insight is to eat the meal, drink the wine of the kingdom of God, to walk in another's way and to say, he's got it together. I want to be in the household of grace, not of self-righteousness. The gospel alone expresses the full cost and substance of the provision of the wisdom of God. Because the gospel, the good news of the person and work of Jesus Christ, is where we see the provision, the gift of grace for a people. Notice that the cost of the feasting is paid by Wisdom herself. You see, we don't pay to enter. We don't bring our bag lunches. It's not you're free to come, just bring a picnic lunch like we're going to ask you to do for the continuing the celebration this afternoon. No. No, this is come and come empty-handed. Lady Wisdom says, it's my bread, it's my wine, and I give it to you. Our call, the call of the invitation, our business, is a call to leave our wisdom at the door. To leave what we have provided, what we have generated, what we have put together, even the kingdoms that we have built. Leave your simple ways and live. Turn into house, wisdom's house. To turn into wisdom's house is a call to to walk in faith, to leave everything else we knew. It's a call that requires faith, faith in the Lord who paid the cost of entrance into the kingdom himself. And all that we enjoy once we are in his kingdom is the work of his grace to provide for his people. It's for this reason that Jesus teaches us that blessed are the poor in spirit, They're the ones who enter the kingdom of God. It's they who have no right or means of entry. It is they who believe that the price has been paid by another. It's they who enter into the provision of Jesus Christ by faith. And the instruction for us is leave your simple ways. That instruction can be understood as leaving behind the company of the simple to walk in the way of the wise. And the way of the wise isn't a company of wisdom, it is lady wisdom and all of the provision of her house. I would refer you to reflect on Psalm 1. Psalm 1 would be a great psalm to jot down in the margin of your Bibles here in Proverbs chapter 9. Psalm 1, verse 1 says, "'Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel "'of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, "'nor sits in the seat of scoffers.'" You see, you and I, we had a previous fellowship in the streets, and that fellowship was in simple ways with simple people, But we have been called into a new fellowship. We're still simple. But we've entered into wisdom's house. Do you see? It's a banquet of grace. Now our business this morning is to compare the house of lady wisdom with the house of lady folly. So we're going to move quickly through verses 7 through 12. Just mentioning a few things briefly. The first thing that we see in verse 7 is that the scoffer reverences himself. Reverences, I kept reading as I was working through my notes, I kept reading it as references, and I think there's a reason for that. He, to, to reverence yourself means that you live your life in reference to yourself. Yourself, your own person, your own desires, is the fixed reference point from which you make all of life's decisions, it's sort of desire's command is the way in which you walk, or as the, the Scriptures tell us, your God is your stomach, your, your desires, the seat of your wisdom. Reference point is to reverence self. Look at verse 7 with me. Whoever corrects a scoffer gives himself abuse, and whoever repro- reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Why? Because the challenge to the scoffer and to the immature and foolish is that fixed reference point isn't fixed at all. It's a mess, and you know your own desires are changing all the time, even if they were of any substantial value to begin with. But rather, the scoffer would rather pretend to be someone that he's not, and all who enter his house are the blind, being led by the blind. We have many people who set up many houses that call the simple to come and learn. But they're not fixed points. And there is no sufficient wisdom. And friends, ultimately there is no grace in any of those other houses. But the fact is we live in an age of scoffers. I think that word is one of the best descriptions of our cultural moment. We lack wisdom today more than we lack just about anything else. I've been struck by how easy sarcasm comes continually in our day. The scoffer uses his self-reverential sarcasm for self-preservation. I love a good joke. I love to to think about silly things and enjoy myself. But there is a way that that self-reverential sarcasm has worked its way, embedded to make ourselves not to have to be challenged or think about anything because we've got a quick quip or meme about everything. And it shuts down any challenge that we might feel. The wise, on the other hand, reverence Christ. And so we see the reality that on our own we are immature. On our own we are those who walk in sin. And we've been humbled before the cross as a people not of self-righteousness but of grace who are saved. Chen Kilgore, he, he said this many years ago. He said, the great blunder we all can make is leaving God out and making ourselves the judge of everything. But it can be extremely painful to learn the fear of the Lord as if the Lord was the fixed point. It can be painful. It can tear down our sense of self it's death to our narcissistic egos and self-assured opinions i would add our memes the little jokes that we carry around so that we might not be challenged by anything ray ortland puts it so beautifully as he points us to jesus when you look at the cross you see a wise man hanging there dying in the place of Fools like you, because he loves you. You may despise him, but he does not despise you. You may, I would add, think yourself above him, but he humbled himself for you. Look there at him. Look away from yourself, look at him, and keep looking until your pride melts you will not only worship, you will begin to grow wise. Why are we a gospel-centered church? Why are we a church that holds up Christ and his gospel at all times, a people of celebration and remembering? Friends, let me suggest, first of all, that if we don't have the gospel, we're not a church. What are we? But just an alternative house. But also because as we remain focused, celebrating and remembering Jesus, the Christ on the cross, in the place of sinners, resurrected and ascended, reigning from his throne in heaven, today we melt All of who we are in and of ourselves melts, and we learn the way of wisdom as we gaze at the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can reprove, you can instruct, and you can teach a wise man, someone who has been wise enough (laughs) simply to be humbled in the poverty of his spirit. How is this? Because the the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The first step of wisdom is to recognize that in and of ourselves we aren't wise. The first step of wisdom is to say, that's not me. Something needs to change. Humility and faith are our first experience of wisdom. You see, a wise man is not an all-knowing man. Rather, in humility, he is compelled to seek after the all-knowing one. That's what makes him wise. Every rebuke, every instruction, every teaching is a welcome reminder. That's correct. I am not God. I am not God. You can't hurt me anymore by pointing out my failure because I've already discerned I am not worthy of being reverenced. I am not the reference point that if you shake me and my identity and my sense of self that somehow my world crumbles. But I have been called into an orbit of sufficient gravity in the house of wisdom. And it is fixed. So now, having looked at Lady wisdom, let's take just a moment to look at Lady Folly. And what we see is that she heads a house of nothing. It's vain and it's empty. Look with me at verse 13. The woman Folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She's loud. She's literally silly. She begs your attention, but she doesn't deserve any of it. She thinks that if she can scream louder Wave signs, get a a large influencer following, if she can make herself bigger and louder, she can in some way gain your attention, though she deserves none of it. I watch commercials and previews on television, and I think to myself, in the light of wisdom, according to the scriptures, so much of what I see just isn't funny. Now, it's being presented as though it was comedy, as though I'm supposed to laugh along and then buy the product. But I watch it, and I'm like, "That's not. it's just not funny. It's, it's kindergarten humor at best. You know what I'm talking about, fart jokes. <laughs> I'm like, it's kind of silly. But ultimately, at some point, it's just not funny. <laughs> at some point. But that's not the worst of it. That's the best of it. At worst, it's what we call euphemistically adult humor, which is in reality the most immature of all of what we are called to laugh at and buy the product. It's not funny. How well does this describe most of what has our attention these days? Consider what has your attention What is waving its arms in the air like Lady Folly, loud, seductive, but knows nothing? When was the last time you saw a meme or a social media post and you said, man, that, my friends, is profound and worthy of attention? Come on. When was the last time that really happened? Lady Folly has built a lot, but Lady Folly has built Nothing. There's no substance. She is slovenly, and her house is empty and vain. Look at verses 14 through 16 with me. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places in the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here literally hasn't written a creative, truly, genuinely innovative thing in her life. Even her invitation to come into her house was stolen from Lady Wisdom. She doesn't know anything. The invitation is not only reminiscent, it's a straight up theft as all of the things of Lady Folly are. The substance of the invitation is not in the words or its promises. The substance of any invitation is the character and the provision of the person who gives signature at the bottom of the invitation. Hear me on that. It's not the creative nature of the advertisement or the marketing scheme. The question is the character of the one who makes the invitation. Is there any substance there when I enter into Lady Folly's house? It's the nature of the character of the one who gives the invitation. Just look at what is on the menu. That's what you ought to do. What is on the menu? If I receive Lady Folly's invitation that sounds so pleasantly worded like Lady Wisdom's Invitation. what do we find? Verse 17. Look at it with me. Stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. Just imagine. I mean, think about it. It's a beautiful, vivid imagery. You can see it with me. Sit down at that meal. Oh, yeah, where, where'd you get this water? <laughs> oh, I stole it. Isn't it nice? And why am I sitting in a corner eating quietly. Oh, that's because that's stolen too. All that you're eating has to be eaten in secret. Everybody knows better than the foolishness of those verses, but the heart is deceitful. Simple people will listen to empty words. That's, that, that's you and me, by the way. That's you and me. We listen to empty words and the heart that is itself deceitful and empty says, ah, that sounds like words that are in me. And we reference ourselves and we enter into vain stolen houses. It's the lie of the serpent. Has there ever been any greater folly than the folly of the fall? The Lord made a fresh and abundant provision in the garden. And he said, of all the trees of the garden, all of these fresh, newly grown things are for you. Go, eat. And Adam and Eve reach out to steal from the one and only tree that had been prohibited them. Friends, that is the heart of folly. Water is not enough. Bread is not enough. It has to be stolen water has to be stolen and eaten in secret bread. It must be leveraged for the glory of the self alone. It must consume it all. But this fools God here in Lady Folly's house. And therefore the guiding center and fear of every wisdom is self. The God is self. And friends, I look at myself and I think I'm no good God. I'm not good. I'm not sufficient. I'm not wise. Why would I follow me? He steals because he wants. He eats because he wants. And there's nothing that can satisfy him. He has a taste for sin. And you know it. Be honest. You like it. Why do you sin? Somebody made me. No. You sin because you want to. You want to. You like it. Come on. But it doesn't satisfy. Sin always leaves us empty. Compare this again to the house of wisdom. The house of wisdom has sacrificially provided meat and what Meat and wine. Wisdom is honest and it is Filled with provision. Substantial, sacrificially provided provision. But the house of folly is stolen bread and water. It's the folly of lies and emptiness. Someone said this morning, the house of folly sounds like prison. Stolen bread and water for your food every day. Every day. And what we see very quickly, verse 18 couldn't be more true, but he does not know that the dead are there and that her guests are the depths of Sheol. What we find is the way of the lady folly is a way of death. The promise of sin needs to be compared to its delivery. We like sin, but what does it give us? We like it, But what is the delivery at the end of it? Sin promises glory, but it gives us only stolen bread. Sin provides only crumbs stolen from the table that is the feast of God. You see, listen, the Lord is the creator of all good things. There is no good things that does not come from the hand of the generous, gracious, abundant, and wise provider, So if there is any good thing, if there's any joy or pleasure that is in sin, it is because it is stolen remnants of the good gift for which God originally created it. Consider, what do you like about sin that was not actually originally created for joy-filled, abundant pleasure unto the thanksgiving of God? But it's twisted. And it's stolen, and it's made to reverence and serve self and inward desires. Money, family, friendships, all are created for the good of God. But when it's stolen and leveraged for the self in sin, there's no lasting joy in it. It's been stolen and doesn't occupy its proper place in our lives. Remember, even the stolen fruit in the Garden of Eden, we were told, was pleasing to the eye and good for food. And then it was stolen, and it became death. Stolen. In the next few weeks, we will consider gluttony, lust, envy, pride, greed, laziness, wrath. Our prayer is that we as a congregation and pastors, from the whole of the Crosspoint Churches would bring the wisdom of Christ in his gospel to bear upon these patterns of sin that appear in our lives. Patterns of sin that are born from evil desires. I hope that you've already seen this today, but the Lord does not simply command us to maturity. Lady Wisdom doesn't stand outside of her seven-pillar-completed house of wisdom and say, Check it out! You ought to build one like this. And then we could dine together at each other's tables. And So many of us in, in legalistic hangings on or licentious self-righteousness, we try to do that. And we treat God as though he had commanded us to maturity before we enter his house. No, the Lord woos us into the house of wisdom nourishes us by the counsel of his word when we've had enough of empty ways of folly we stumble into the house of wisdom and find a way of gracious abundant life now in the next few weeks we'll make war We're going to make war against the seven deadly follies and we're going to fight for the joy of the house of wisdom. But friends, the fight is not a fight of accountability groups and doing better this time. The fight begins and ends and is the whole of our lives and eternity. It's the fight of faith. To believe that the provision of the Lord's house is good and eat and partake in the way of the Lord. It's a fight to trust the Lord in His way. Every time we wrap up together, I try to think, what is the application for the people? hope you've heard it. It's a call to trust in the Lord. But thankfully, the application point is written for me, Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 8, says this, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, In all of your ways, acknowledge him, reverence him, live in reference to him, and he will make your paths straight. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. I don't know about you but the last year and 3 months has been brutal. My flesh is tired. My bones ache. And my soul feels sick. Wouldn't it be refreshing, refreshing to enter into the house of wisdom together? Heavenly Father, we hear this and And I hope, I hope that all of us here think that would be nice. That would be nice to have healing for our flesh, refreshment for our bones. May we test you this summer. May we enter into your house, eat of your ways, and test you. Are you good? Now, we know we're still evil. We know we are still immature. We know what we bring to the table But may we eat of your ways and find your grace to be sweet and abundant and never-ending but new every morning. May we enter into this bed and breakfast, walk down the stairs every day and find your mercies new and fresh laid out on the table for us again in Christ. Lord, we pray that you would counsel your church and all those who are gathered today and over the course of these weeks this summer thank you, Lord. We trust you. We trust in the Lord. Make it so with all our hearts. We pray this in the Lord's name. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.